Welcome, thank you for checking out another episode of Those People, a podcast about people with people. As usual, I'm your host, Mitch Gaines. You can find me at Mitch Gaines just about anywhere on the internet that I want to be found. If this is your first time checking out the show, thank you, thank you, thank you, and we are so happy to have you. Those People is a show, like I mentioned, with people, about people, where we explore all the labels that we give ourselves and others give to us. Every episode, we sit down with different guests, and we interview them about their stories, their successes, their struggles, all the different ass words, really. But most importantly, we care with them about the people that are involved. So if you love it, we'd love you to go ahead and go tell a friend. If you hate it, we hate you, and please kindly shut the fuck up forever. I'm just kidding about that last part, but if you do hate the show for real, shoot me an email at mitchgaines at gmail.com and tell me what you hated. Maybe we'll do a little bit better next time. As always, I also want to take a quick second to remind all of you who do love the show or just some of the people that we have on the show, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. Platforms are now available on include Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Pocket Cast, my personal favorite, Radio Public, and a whole bunch more. If you happen to be a Google or an Apple listener and you like the show, it'd mean a lot to us if you could rate and review the podcast, but only if you like the show. Save your hate takes for Twitter, where again, you can find me at Mitch Gaines. That's Gaines with a Y, because I'm a little bit gay, G-A-Y-N-S. I'm joined today by somebody I've been pretty excited to sit down with for a long while now. I say that about a lot of people because it's polite, but today I actually mean it. Kem Mijabil, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sure he's going to correct me in a moment if I'm wrong. Uh, is first and foremost an activist, a supporter of the underdog, an elected committeeman in his residence of Lysel, Illinois, which I also might be mispronouncing, which I'm hoping he'll correct me on. Uh, and most currently, he is running for state representative of Illinois' 42nd district. Uh, he's a former political strategist. He's worked on a bunch of campaigns across the country. Before that, he was a speechwriter, and he's given speeches to small and large audiences pretty much all around America. Uh, he's probably a little better at public speaking than I am, to be honest. He's a resistor, a Sister, a general overall badass. I read that on at least five websites, so I assume he's at least pretty good at this PR thing. But more importantly, he's a humble and gracious, thoughtful dude who I'm excited to get a chance to sit down with. Those people is honored to welcome Ken Mija Beal. How's it going, Ken? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mahia. Mahia. Okay. I I am so sorry yeah. for that because I gave you a wonderful uh, intro and fucked up your name. You can tell I grew up around no. not a lot of people who speak anything even close to Spanish. <laughs> no, you did. You did all right. You pronounced Lyle correctly, so you get points for that. All right. I, I see. I have to. I've been to at least parts of Illinois once or twice, so I was like, I can't butcher that part. People like out there will get mad at me. A lot of people I talk to, Thank it's like you. I've never been to those places. I had a guy on uh, a couple of weeks ago who is uh, originally from Singapore, uh, born in India, raised in Singapore, and it's like, yeah, I, I don't even have a point of reference for some of these names, man. <laughs> like you, you just can't help me out here. <laughs> Tongue twisters. Uh, so the, the first thing I usually do with guests when I have them on, uh, is I like to ask everybody for what I like to call a conversational safe word. So this works the same way a sexual safe word does. If anything gets uncomfortable, anything gets weird, I'm doing things you don't like. You say the safe word, I stop, we change topics completely. Much like a sexual safe word, if you use it a bunch, things get really fucking weird. Nobody wants to do that anymore. We might just have to cut things short. Uh, so Got what, it. what is your conversational safe word again? Uh, uh Kalamazoo. All right. I, is there Absolutely. a Kalamazoo in Illinois or are you going to get like shit for that? Your safe word is a, a city uh, in Michigan. 
it's going to be a city in Michigan. It's um, a fun word, and it's a long word, which will give me a moment to regroup uh, myself after I have, if I have to say it. That is probably the the best explanation for a safe word I've gotten in a long time. So I'll take that. <laughs> so uh, absolutely, I like to start out and always ask people kind of like where they're from originally. So are you from Michigan? Do you have any relation there? Are you from Illinois, like born and bred? Like you from? No. Ohio? So. My family is originally from Arkansas. Uh, okay. My family, uh, we had a farm down in Arkansas, Marianne, Arkansas. I would go back every summer as a kid. It was my job to feed the pigs, um, to feed the pigs. So I was in charge of what we call the slot bucket. Um, and that is where you get a giant bucket, you put all your leftovers in there, and then that is what goes to feed the pig. So <laughs> that, that was how I spent my summers. Um, I was born in Chicago, raised on the south side of Chicago, um, Auburn Grisham community. And then uh, I'll say my early 20s, I had a job that moved to the western suburbs, and I did not like the commute, as most people don't, and I decided to move to Naperville, Illinois. Um, And then from Naperville, Illinois, I moved to Lyle, Illinois about eight years ago. All right, and so you've been there pretty much since? Oh, yeah, for sure. Cool, 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 cool. And so you mentioned you're you're born and raised on the south side of Chicago. One of my favorite parts about getting a chance to do this podcast, uh, I say this probably every episode, is getting a, a chance to kind of represent the myths that are told about a lot of different people. Uh, and so I, what is the south side of Chicago actually like? Because my, my experience is limited to about two and a half hours of, like, driving through the south side of Chicago. I, I don't know much about <laughs> it other than that. I got a really good sandwich um, you and know, like a really subpar bag of wheat. That's all I know about Southside Chicago. <laughs> well, I, I will say this: um, there are pros and cons, of course, to any community. Um, when growing up, so the community changed. When growing up, the community was not um, not a bad place to live. It was um, productive. It was filled with a lot of people that really kind of built up the community. My grandparents bought their uh, building there in the 70s and had been there since the 70s. A lot of our neighbors have been there since the um, 60s and 70s. Um, and then around, I will say, the early 2000s, um, that is when the community changed due to uh, gentrification in the city all over. It created um, what we call turf wars. And that's when it became a little bit more violent. And, of course, the drugs got out of control. And, and yeah, there was violence. There were drugs. It became a rougher community to live in. Um, But it's not necessarily because the people got bad. I I look at it as lack of opportunity. Um, When you give – when you don't have an opportunity to thrive and survive, you look for any opportunity to do so. And unfortunately, that the the drug business, the the gang banging business, is a lucrative business that you can actually do with limited uh, resources, limited education, and and it, it's productive. It brings in money. It feeds people. Um, so that's that's how I look at what happened to you know my old community. 
I'd also even say beyond that, from from my limited tangential experiences with it, uh, I find that gang culture, you know, criminal culture in general, for a lot of people, provides like that that sense of purpose that a lot of us are looking for. And so, even you yep. know, even if you have the the you know quote unquote resources, say like that, there's a, a school you could get into that is a an hour and a half bus ride away, but you got in, like you have an opportunity, right? And it's like a lot of that right. doesn't appeal to you because it's like you don't nobody in your life is doing that. And you know, here are some people who are like, well. We're getting money over here, and you know we're you know fairly successful. Our our bills are paid. Our our cars drive fine. You know what I mean? Like, why would you do that school shit? And I think like there there's a a, a unity amongst crooks, if you will, uh, that is is quite appealing to people who don't have kind of role models in the other direction. Absolutely, and and being in poverty is is no one likes to be hungry. Exactly. No one likes <laughs> to have to figure out where their next meal is coming from, how they're going to keep the lights on. Um, so given the opportunity to be hungry or not be hungry, a lot of people when you don't have, and that's why I bring up, you know, resource, Mm. if you don't know how else to do it, then you do what you have to or what you think you have to. Um, and, and I can honestly say I was very fortunate. Um, I have a wonderful family that surrounded me with resources. I, I always knew um, the sky was the limit and the limit was not the sky. And that made a huge difference, um, in my life, just being surrounded by so much positivity, a really quick story. When I was in kindergarten, um, a gentleman that worked with my grandmother, he asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And this is around maybe 1991 in kindergarten. And, um, I remember saying, I want to be the president of the United States. Bold. And he goes, well, and he, he looked at me, he goes, well, I mean, what else would you want to do? Um, yeah, you know, anything up, more, more realistic. Yep. Uh, and my grandmother said, if he wants to be the president of the United States, he can be the president of the United States. And that's just the household I grew up in, um, where if I wanted to do something, I could do it if I put in the work for it. So what I guess what was what was your childhood like then? Because you by the, by the timeline you gave me, it sounds like you're kind of coming of age as this transition is happening in Chicago. So like you are born, you're kind of having your toddler years, and like all right, Chicago's like a great place to be. And by the time you're like a teenager, you're like what the fuck is happening outside? Like <laughs> like we like the whole yeah. the whole everything has changed. So what is how I guess how is your family kind of like insulating you from that? Because by the sound of it, that, that was kind of you know everybody kind of had a hand in making sure like you were in a good spot. And had the resources to thrive in the way you wanted to, and like this family wasn't going to fail. So, like, how how was that? Like, what was the family dynamic that kind of kept it that way? So, my my grandmother has always been a, a steady hand um, and a firm hand, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and tend to be. <laughs> yeah, she she she's the best thing that ever happened to me in life, um, and she always made sure that I knew I could do it, and she always. Was, was very hard on me growing up. Um, I remember I was in fifth grade and I decided to slack a little and I'd always been a straight A and B student. I brought home a few C's and she cried um, like tears. It was, it was, it was, I felt horrible. Um, and she goes, you know, I don't want you to grow up thinking that you can be mediocre you cannot be mediocre and you can do better. You're just lazy. Um, and she was right. I genuinely, 
<laughs> Tough to hear, but sometimes grade, they're right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fifth grade is around the time um, we they started to make the t- televisions with the VCR attached to the television, mm. and I got my own. It, it was it was an awesome moment. So I had my own VCR, my own TV. I had my own, like uh, I believe it was a Sega Genesis at the time. So yeah, I didn't want to do homework. I wanted to <laughs> rush through it and get to what I thought was the important part of life, which was getting the Sonic uh, the Hedgehog rings. And um, she reminded me, you can do better, and you have to do better. You cannot be mediocre in this world. Um, and that was pretty much why how I stayed out of trouble. And, you know, my grandmother instilled in me a very healthy uh, parentheses, maybe a little unhealthy parentheses, sense of shame and guilt. Um <laughs> And it always kept me in line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much so. Um, and there was always a sense of, if you do this, how will it reflect on the family? And I remember being in high school, um, and kids were doing all kinds of things that you know kids do at that age. And I refrained because I always said, if something happens to me, if, I'm, if I engage in these activities— and I, God forbid, die, my family would find out I was doing these things, and they would never be able to leave the house again. That was always my thought process. And I remember... It doesn't so much come back on your family as your family will distance themselves from you. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, and even in, so as I got older and got more freedom... Um, like 16 years old, kids are cutting school to go to Great America. Mm. Um, and I really wanted to be cool and I really wanted to go. Um, and we get in the car and we're on our way there. And I had this thought, if we get into a car accident, my family is going to wonder, wonder why I'm almost at the Wisconsin border instead of being in school. So I eventually pulled over, found a payphone, called my mom and said, mom, all my friends are going to Great America. I really want to go. I'm literally in a car to go there. Is it okay if I go? And she said, okay, which was good because I, I didn't you know, miss a lot of school, but I couldn't even do it because I was terrified of what's going to happen if something bad happens and I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So let me, let me ask, how big is your family? Oh, uh, we're a small family. So okay. um, it, it's, Pretty much my mom, uh, my grandma, um, my mom, and my stepdad, and I have in uh, my stepmom and my dad, and I have um, two sisters, three brothers. Uh, I'm the oldest. That's a small family. You got six kids. <laughs> well, we didn't all grow up in the same house. Uh, uh, so oh, yeah, that's fair. I guess you mentioned you had yeah. stepdad, step, so a couple of separate yeah. half siblings from that. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, um, I have um, I have um, two. I guess two half. I don't like the word half and stuff. Yeah, but two yeah. It makes it sound like they're not like your real sibling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't like to say it like that. But yeah, so I have That's two cool. biological, two half brothers, one stepsister. Gotcha. Uh, that that makes a lot more sense about the kind of the, the sense of worry then because like I a couple episodes ago I was speaking with a friend of mine from Detroit and he's got giant family you know his his mother I think he said was the uh, 
oldest of 22, I believe it was, something like that. And oh, so, wow. Yeah, so he's got, you know, a billion cousins, a billion nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts, and everything. And so it's like, you don't have that same sense of, like, worry because, A, everywhere you go, usually somebody from the family is with you. Uh, and B, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not beholden to being, like, my, my amount of responsibility if I'm one of 110 versus if I'm one of, like, four. You know what I mean? Like, I'm similar to you. It's like, it's me and my brother, my mom, uh, my dad passed away a couple, you know, a few years ago now. Uh, And so they're like, we have a tiny family. So it's like, if if anything goes wrong in anyone's life in my family, it's like, you know, it's one sixth of the family or so that's like disrupting. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I've, I've always said I have to do, I have to kind of do the right thing at all times because. If I don't, it throw it really does throw off that fraction you just mentioned. All right, so let me let me ask you this then, kind of transitioning to that kind of younger young adulthood period, that high school age period. Then, like, who are these who are these friends that you're like running off to to Great America with? Like, who are these like who are your closest friends outside the family? Who are these influences in your life? Sure. So before high school, I didn't have friends. <laughs> like um, at all? That sounds so sad. No. No, it, so growing up, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, and I in a, spent a lot of time with my grandmother's friends. So when I started to go to kindergarten, I could not relate to other people my own age. Um, I remember growing up you just Sunday morning. Old people feel like ever. I, I, it was the best thing ever <laughs> until I started, till I couldn't relate. Um, Sunday mornings, I would get really excited. I get a bowl of Cap'n Crunch, and I sit in front of the TV and watch Meet the Press. That was the highlight of my week. Um, <laughs> so, like, you came into kindergarten and you were like, what, y'all don't play bridge? Like, what's going on? It, it was crazy. Um, and in looking at, so my report cards were always good, but it always had a check by, um, you know, uh, plays well with others. And it was always a comment. It's not that he does not play well with others. He does not play with others. And it was <laughs> simply because I couldn't relate mm. To other, to other, uh, to other kids, I just didn't understand um, how they got joy in watching, you know, like cartoons, for example, when Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs was so entertaining. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was also a highlight of my childhood. So just like um, poop, poop so, jokes were just like lost on you. Like you never even had a phase where that was even going to be funny. Totally lost. <laughs> totally lost. Um, I remember like the kids used to play tag. And I was always I, I would sit my recess period was spent eating lunch outside by the gate and I would usually find a teacher that was supervising and just talk to them the whole recess period. I didn't understand the joy of like running after other people and touching them and then running away. <laughs> it didn't make sense to me. Um <laughs> so you didn't play a lot of sports. <laughs> like, no, not until high school. So <laughs> then I, I as I got older though, um it kind of balanced itself out. So by teenage years, I was a bit of an intellectual, but I was also a teenager, so I went to have fun. So I made friends. Uh, so my friends were, I was kind of a social butterfly in high school. Um, I was friends with everybody. Turns out um, talking to so, people and touching people is really fun when you're in high school. <laughs> uh, well, just just the talking to people part uh, was fun. Uh, <laughs> that was Fair. always fun. Good Christian boy. But, but yeah. <laughs> No, but I, I hung out with um, everybody. Um, I didn't. I didn't get involved in factions. I, I didn't. It really wasn't my thing. I I always accepted 
is different groups of people. I knew when I was hanging out, for example, with my jock friends, it would not be the same as hanging out with my friends from science club. I understood that. And I all, I've always, you know, compartmentalized that. Um, so I knew, okay, the, if I'm hanging out with these group of friends, these are the activities that we will be doing. Um, and I found fun in that, enjoying that. And especially as someone who didn't have friends, um, growing up per se, it was nice to have friends. And I'm, I'm curious, kind of, uh, timeline wise, were you out at this point or no? No. Okay. Not at all. Uh, Cause I, I so I, I guess, how are you thinking about kind of like, uh, for lack of a better term, maybe like the, the politics of like navigating those different social circles? Because like you said, like when you're with your jock friends, it's not the same as being with the science club friends. But like, how do the jock friends feel about you being friends with science club people? And like, how are you navigating that kind of, you know, especially at that age and in that era of like that kind of click hierarchy? Well, I, th- I think it was um a lack of understanding on all parts. But the <laughs> thing about me is I, I <laughs> as are most things that involve 15 year olds. <laughs> exactly. Um, but there were uh, growing up, I never allowed myself to be a full person. Mm. So it worked for me. Um, like I didn't think it was possible to be athletic and intelligent. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I played, I played baseball, but I knew that that was one segment of my life. Um, and when I, you know, I was in science club, that was another segment of my life. Um, I took advanced placement classes. That was kind of in an, another segment. So I always separated, um, all these different parts of myself. And I've, and then growing up, especially as a, a person of color that didn't go to school with a lot of other people of color, um, uh, <laughs> and being in the closet, Preach. You learn, <laughs> you learn what you have to do to fit in, um, without compromising your. Because I never was going to compromise myself, so that that's always been a plus. But you learn, okay, this is how I can fit in. This is how I can be, kind of go under the radar. And so, um, like, how were you doing that? Like, where I. Can, do you remember like a specific time where like you were, you know, there, there was something that came up and you were like, Hey, like I, you know, I know how I feel about this, but I can't address this in this setting. Oh God. All the time. Um, huh. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. So there were, I, I definitely heard a lot of, um, you know, anti-gay jokes growing hmm. up um, that made me feel uncomfortable inside, but I knew I couldn't say anything. Um, I heard, people make fun of other people that I wanted to say, Hey, that's not right. But I knew I couldn't say anything, but it also probably played into the fact that I navigated through different circles. If, and when a circle got just a little too uncomfortable for me. Um, so it was a lot of navigating and moving around and just saying, okay, well maybe I don't fit here. Um, Mm -hmm. just trying to find a place to fit. So kind of like one of, I guess, like the coping mechanism of being able to have that many circles of friends meant like anytime it gets weird, I can go somewhere else. And like anytime that gets weird, I can come back here. And anytime they both get weird, I can go to this third place and so on. Yes, because the likelihood that it all gets weird at the same time never happened. Thank God. Well, especially so, if, if you're a charismatic and contributing member of, like, those groups of friends, right? You can kind of control that a bit where it's like, I know my life is blowing up over here, so I'm going to be, like, super kind to this group of friends and, like, just keep this shit in order, and at least until, like, the rest of my life settles down. You nailed it. Absolutely. <laughs> I loved it, brother. I you, feel you. Absolutely. 
<laughs> I, was, I was black, yeah, queer, and surrounded yeah. by white people too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you learn how to you learn how to navigate. And it's not even just navigating; it's kind of a survival tool. You mm. learn how you can you can be visible, but still slip under the radar. And, and that's a, that's a hard thing to learn, especially as a teenager. But you learn you you want to be seen, you want to be relevant. But you don't want to be too relevant. Um, I, I read a really good book once, and I can't remember the name of it. But it, it kind of put people like you and I, like we shoot for the middle. Mm. Uh, we don't we don't want to be at the top of the food chain, and we don't want to be at the bottom. So we shoot just enough to where we're in the middle, and we're kind of okay with everybody. I uh, I generally describe my aspirations that way, and like a, a lot of my friends, you know, I, I come from a, kind of like a tech and startup entrepreneur background. And so a lot of people I know, like a, literally, their their life goal is to become a billionaire, right? And like I know a lot of people whose idea of success is making like you know double digit figure millions of dollars for like tens of years. And my, my idea of like success is like if I could own more than one property in my life simultaneously, like I I would say I did exceptionally well like like that's good for me i'm, I'm good right there you know what i mean like I don't, absolutely I don't, I don't need 11 cars i don't need a bank account with 120 million like because like you said like that much success will be your demise if you have a certain type of identity and a certain kind of outlook on life absolutely and success is different for everybody um just the way we look at success i know i've accomplished things that i have friends that just look at me like, and you're, and that makes you happy. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I'm super happy. Um, <laughs> just, just recently, I went to a trivia night. It was a Golden Girls trivia night, and I came in first place. That to me was a great accomplishment. Um, <laughs> and I, <laughs> it was a great accomplishment. I, and I've met, you know, yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's a great time. I've, I've met a lot of wonderful politicians and people around the world that have created change, and I, I. I appreciate that, but coming in first place at the Golden Girls trivia was an awesome accomplishment. It's going to go on the tombstone. Well, and I, I think it's important that people are able to find different levels and different variations of success. Uh, and so I, I have a couple of close friends who are comedians, and one of the things that really strikes me about comedy, and why I, I, I know despite how funny I think I might be, I, I could never be a professional comedian, is it takes this kind of like <laughs> relentless commitment to that one thing. You know what I mean? And so it's like you yeah. cannot be a top-level comedian. You will not find success in the way of like you probably want to as a comedian unless that's all you do. And it's like I need those small pleasures man like I, I need that moment of driving 45 minutes out of my way to get a really good roast beef sandwich because there's that one place and that one town and it's like that's worth you know the 90 minutes of my day you know what I mean and like if it isn't Absolutely. to you I can't explain it to you and like that's fine but like you gotta you gotta pick your battles very true. Uh, so I, I've a, I've a, I want to get back to success in a minute. So I, I kind of want to kick off the second sure. half with that. Uh, but I do have a couple questions. I, I always like to ask everybody kind of about adolescence uh, and not to put you on the hot seat here. If you don't want to answer any of these, feel free. Uh, but out of, out of curiosity, what is, what was like your first like vice or bad habit? Cause it sounds like you grew up fairly religious. I imagine a fairly conservative household uh, doesn't sound like coming out was even really an option in childhood. So did you have any like vices? Like when, when did you, when was your of first course. vice and what was it? Uh, well, cigarettes. I, I was a pack a day okay. smoker. No um, shit. Okay. I started, yeah, I started smoking when I was 14 years old. Holy I'm shit. no longer a smoker. But I started smoking when I was 14 years old. 14? Um, How old were you when you were 14? Hold on. I was like, 
That was like 2000 something, right? Obviously. Yeah. Okay. So like yeah, this, I can't. this is post <laughs> yeah. like truth campaign and everything. <laughs> oh, for sure. I grew up so my grandmother, my mother, my father, my stepfather, they all smoked. I grew up around smoking. Mm. Um, so it wasn't – and it started with um, – I was very anxious as a teenager. I mean, I'm sure that comes as a surprise to no one. So I was a very <laughs> anxious teenager. And one day my grandmother left half a cigarette um, just on the table, and I took a couple of uh, puffs from it, and I felt okay. And then it started with me taking a cigarette every now and then, and it turned to two, and it turned to – it was a gradual thing. That's how you know thing. the people in your um, life were real smokers too is nobody realized their cigarettes are going missing. I, at one point – so my grandmother would buy cigarettes in bulk, um, like cartons of cigarettes in bulk. So at one point I was able to get like whole packs of cigarettes, <laughs> and no one noticed. Um, is and, is and my one of those places where cigarettes are like dirt cheap? I know there's certain places around the country. No. Okay. We, we drive to Indiana. Uh, <laughs> you get uh, the cigarette. I got you. We, you we do that with New home. Hampshire here. So it's the yeah, same, same kind of uh. thing. <laughs> That's what I mean. I feel like if you don't live in one of those states, you just like you drive to one of those states. That's what people do. <laughs> yeah. So we go to Indiana and nobody ever noticed. Um, and in my family, I mean, they're old school smokers. So it was none of the whole you have to go outside to smoke. We had ashtrays in every room. Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was we. It was a smoking house. Um, um, so yeah, that was my first vice. I, I, I definitely was a smoker. How a old were smoker. you when they found out, or you came clean? That I, I smoked. Yeah. Um. So I, I think. I think eighteen. I finally said, "Well, I'm." I, I think it was a winner, and I said, "Okay, I'm 18 now. It's totally legal. I am no longer going outside to smoke." <laughs> I'm a smoker. I can buy my own cigarettes. I will smoke with the rest of you. And in Illinois, winter will do that to you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cold. Oh. And I turned 18 in the winter. Um, my birthday is in December. So, yeah, I turned 18 and I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going outside anymore yeah i was uh i was a firm i only smoke pot outside my house guy for a long time and then yeah we got one ah. good blizzard and i was like yeah yeah nah i can't go anywhere <laughs> i can't like leave my house like i'm not i'm not shoveling the porch so i can go smoke a joint like i'm good like absolutely <laughs> sit right here and write this essay <laughs> you know what i mean like what are we doing here uh, all right. Last question. I do like to ask people kind of about their adolescence just because I think it gives a cool snapshot of America. Uh, who's the who's the most famous person or you know a person you want to shout out because now you have a platform to do so uh, from your high school? Oh, so many. Um, yeah, well, I was gonna say, that's gonna probably the out. interesting thing about going to school in fucking Chicago. You must have a billion. Uh, wow. Well, I didn't. I don't. I don't. Didn't go to school with anyone famous or anything. Hmm. Um, but I, I will say, um, ah, wow, that's a really good, <laughs> wow. Um, I had a really great teacher, um, in high school. Um, her name, um, is, um, Allison Robertson and she inspired my life. Um, she was, uh, my chemistry teacher, my senior year of high school. Um, and she is, was really the first person that I verbally said to her, um, I think I might be a little bit different. And she said, 
got it. You'll figure it out one day. And then we just kind of left it at that. And she was just a super cool teacher. And what I liked about her is that she taught me so much more than chemistry. It was life lessons. It was appreciating people. And, and so, yeah, if I had to, for anybody, it'd be Miss Robertson. Ms. Roberts or Ms. Robinson? Robertson. Robertson. Okay. Uh, R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N. Well, if you are listening out there, Ms. Robertson, we greatly thank you. And I believe the 42nd District of Illinois is going to pretty soon as well. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and I'm going to come back, and we can jump into the back half of the interview. Sound good? All right. Awesome. back with Ken. Please help me one more time with the last name so that I don't butcher this when I do promo. Mejia. Mejia. Not, <laughs> not Major. There you go. Mejia. All right. Ken Mejia Beal. Uh, so I, I mentioned to you off air, there's a, a lot of people who view uh, my criticism, my interrogation of ideas, etc. Uh, often as hostile. And so I kind of came up with this, this segment of question to kind of just set the table very open-minded like a, as the name indicates an honestly ignorant portrait where i come up with no assumptions i ask a handful of questions and it gives us kind of a nice profile of who the person is as well as kind of getting into their career and their aspirations and whatnot does that sound good all right awesome um, I'm here. Uh, so first question right off the bat very hard question very broad question could be a very easy question depending on what kind of person you are what is or was your dream Uh, uh, to always to help people. Okay. And why, like, why is that like the focus? Like, why just that? Because I, so I've seen so many people that could have done better if they had help, uh, growing up, especially, um, in my own neighborhood. Um, especially, so I had, um, excuse me, before I turned 30, I had six of my friends that Jesus. died of AIDS. Six? Um, I've had, I've had, I've lost friends to gun violence. I've lost friends to suicide. I've lost friends to um, childbirth. I've lost people that if there was help, they would still be here. Um, and so I've always said, how can I help? That's always been my, my thing. That's how I got into um, activism and politics and writing. It was because I wanted to help um, because if, I, mean, I think everybody can help somebody if you take a moment just to care. So yeah, that's always been my, my dream. Now it's manifested itself in different ways throughout my life. Um, you know, when I was super young, I thought I wanted to be the president of the United States, which I don't ever <laughs> want that. Um, and then it's a less appealing ever. job. The older you and get, the more I you thought, understand about the presidency, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't want it <laughs> ever. And then I wanted to be a doctor, and then I wanted to be a vet, and then I wanted to, um, my God, I think at some point, I'm trying to think, at some point I wanted to um, be a firefighter, um, and then I got into, you know, the financial sector, 
because uh, I like I liked helping people, you know, get in, get in the homes and get loans, and it made me happy. So, but helping people has always been at the root of why I've every dream I've ever wanted. If that makes it sense, does I do have some points I'm curious about. I guess when people always say that their dream has always been to help other people. I, I I guess I always want to follow up with people who don't necessarily come from like a very privileged background because uh, I, mm-hmm. like uh, I'm a little tongue tied on how to phrase this. I guess my thing is uh, when you say help people, help them <laughs> like help them achieve what? Like where where are you at? Like it, for lack of a better phrase, and I don't I, I don't mean this as hostile as it sounds. Like what puts you in a position to make you feel like mm-hmm. you can help other people? And like, what are you trying to help them achieve? If like the only thing you've achieved is helping other people, does that make sense? Sure. Yep. So not a hostile question. Everybody is in a position. Oh, I agree with that. Somebody. I just mean like what, if Everybody. that's like your main focus and that's your driving force, then like what else, like yeah. what else have you done really besides just help other people achieve their dreams? Well, helping people achieve their dreams helps me achieve mine. Well, yeah, um, of course, if your but, dream is to help but people. To <laughs> question, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but to answer your question a little bit more deeply, I, I, I can dig in a little bit. So my whole life, everything I've done, once again, that's at the root. So when I got into activism, um, <clears throat> I got into activism, uh, the, the final push is when one of my best friends died of AIDS. Um, he died three days before his 26th birthday. And... I had to find a way to channel the sadness and the anger that I had inside of myself. So I said, what can I do? And I immediately called the AIDS Foundation of Chicago. And I said, this is my story. What can I do? Where do you need me? So, and that's how every single group that I've ever volunteered for, or uh, every cause I've activated for, has been that at the root is is more so taking the sadness or the anger or the hopelessness or the whatever feeling you have into how can you channel it? And I think everybody channels it differently. Some people, you know, create art. Um, and unfortunately that side of my brain is not where it needs to be to do really good art. Um, some people are, you know, have the brain for medicine and they create cures for things. I wish I had that brain. I don't. What I do have though, is the ability to understand people because I've been around so many different kinds of people in my life. And because I've experienced such tremendous loss and have had such tremendous happiness, sometimes within all the same week, so it puts me in a position where I can help people because I can actually empathize with people. All right. I, so that you, you touched on this, I guess, a little bit. How'd you, let me come back to that. Cause I, I don't want to, I know that's going to take us further ahead than I want to get to. I, for, <laughs> okay. first and foremost, <laughs> guys, do you, do you want to be doing what you're doing now? Kind of like forever. Is this like the long goal? You know, there's a, you mentioned there's a lot of different ways to help people, right? And if your end goal, like your dream is to, is to be able to help people in whatever way is the most helpful, you know, you talked about medicine, you talked about, you know, mm-hmm. firefighting, you know, you talked about the arts, you talk about housing, you talk about finance. Is, is the, 
is po- mm-hmm. politics kind of the am- amalgamation of all those things, and that's why that's probably the the move forward. Or is this you know one of many things you kind of see yourself doing? No, I think politics is the culmination of it all. Um, for me, I never and put this in all caps locks, never want it to be a person running for office. <laughs> the guy I, who wouldn't I talk never, to other people in grade um, school didn't ask, want to be a politician? No fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I when someone explained to me that what exactly the president does, I think I said I'd rather be a firefighter. <laughs> that seems like a, be a lot better for me. I'd rather run into a burning building. They're kind of one um, the same these days. But... <laughs> <laughs> No comment. Um, (laughs) No comment. No, but um, excuse me. I I think that I think that when when we I lost track of what I was saying, and I cannot get it back. So I'm not going to let me let me reframe it this way. I guess Uh, I I. Is your is your kind of is your idea of achieving more like your idea? We talked a little earlier about success. Is your idea of kind of success in, in achieving more? Is that more of a, a diversity of things, or is that more drilling down in one particular path like politics? So yeah, thank you. Uh, so politics for me is where everything meets. If you want to help with affordable housing, healthcare, climate change. Uh, social justice, there is one place where you can do it all, and that's politics. If you want to wrap up kind of all of all of our countries, all of our states, all of our cities' issues, and sit down and kind of go one by one, politics really is the place to do it. Um, and, and that's, for me, that's why I got involved behind the scenes. Um, becoming a community organizer, becoming, you know, a, a speech writer and, and having, you know, in, in the events world, I said, I find candidates that I, I truly value and respect. Um, and I say, let me help you. What do you need for me? And I'm, I try my best to make sure we get them elected. And two years ago, I was asked to run for office and I said, absolutely not. I have no desire. Um, and the reason I'm running for office now, a really good friend of mine wrote a wonderful uh, bill uh, in Illinois, um, Representative Robinson, to make sure that PrEP, which is the pill that is 98% effective in blocking the HIV virus, is provided to you know a lot of our youth that are going to be tremendously you, effective. I, I just I just want to pause you there. And could you could you just explain what prep is a little sure. slower for people listening at home? Just one of my favorite parts about this sure. show is sure, exposing sure, sure. people to kind of different lifestyles, and I, I feel like a lot of people aren't aren't quite familiar with how you like unbelievably world changing prep is, and like in in the community, I feel like it gets kind of glossed over now as like a, a thing that exists that we all kind of know about. I just want to really drive home what an important yeah. thing that is for people. Sure. So it's, it's, it's a pill taken once daily. Um, it, it pretty much, it, it's been 98% effective in blocking the HIV virus. Um, it can be the pill that invades. It can be the pill that invades. Um, and, and I want to throw this out there because a lot of people don't remember, they don't understand how big AIDS is. One and two 
gay African-American men will be diagnosed with HIV or AIDS by 2030. One in two. 50%. So that's why the rates growing that like fast currently? being affordable. Absolutely. We're in the middle of an epidemic. Uh, we're, we are literally in the middle of an epidemic. Um, people are, and the reason for that is PrEP is not being, um, well, it's twofold. PrEP is not being really pushed in a lot of the black and brown communities. Um, it's not being pushed. It's not being promoted. It's not being talked about. But that's also because in a lot of the black and brown communities, HIV and AIDS are considered gay issues. And gay people are, tend to be shamed. So if you go to a doctor and they ask you if you're gay and you are a man that has sex with men, but you don't identify as gay, your answer to that question will be no. Every time. <laughs> and then you're not off for, you know, you're not off for PrEP. You know what I mean? Um, wait, wait. So also, they, ju- so they are, simply just don't offer PrEP to people who don't openly identify themselves as gay? Usually, especially in the black and brown communities. That so, is, like, for instance, I've, I've never yeah. been offered it, but I have terrible health insurance. And I've changed doctors a million times. I just assume it's one of those, like, I, I feel like the doctor's doing me a favor half the time I go to the doctor's office, so I, I don't, like, expect adequate health care. But generally speaking, what you're saying is, like, if I go into a qualified doctor in a setting how it's supposed to work, they ask me, like, am I gay? I say no because I'm pansexual, and then they're not even going to bother, like, following up on that. Like, hey, by the way, I don't know if you know, like, women have AIDS, too. <laughs> Well, I mean, to be very clear with the state of our, our health care and the education needed behind it, if you said you were pansexual, they probably wouldn't know what that meant and would not bother to ask you what it means to begin that with. That is fair. So you're already <laughs> out there. <laughs> you're already out there. Um, so, so that's the first problem. Um, but, yes, they're not going to offer Okay, it. so uh- – One of the things that strikes me about this conversation, you mentioned politics is, is, and I agree, is the way to be able to tackle all issues, right? But part of what gets messy about politics Mm -hmm. is that it is literally all issues, and most of what politics is, is raising awareness, bringing votes and people together around consensus of topics and getting things done. What do you say to the people who, because I I get this criticism a lot, just as somebody who pays a lot of attention to politics, is like, you're essentially working on mm-hmm. not the real work, right? The real the real work is getting prep into people's hands, is getting the you know getting the climate reduced and figuring out the science behind how we capture carbon more mm-hmm. effectively, like all of those things. Like, and so there are people who push back on that. It's like if you care so much, why didn't you become a, an engineer or a doctor or you know go on down the list? Uh, now, I, you know personally, it's my opinion. Like, fuck those people because I I am a generalist and I like politics for that reason. But kind of what is what is your <laughs> assessment of that? Like, why why not drill down further on something where you might be more specifically helpful in one area rather than being a generalist and kind of trying to dictate what people should should or should not pay attention? I mean, that's a very good question, and I've never been asked that before. I told you so, it's more hostile than um, second half, man. I believe that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it does, but I'm okay with that. Um, so to the people that say if you want to help with medicine, why not become a doctor? That's not my wheelhouse. Unfortunately, um, I wish it were my wheelhouse. Um, I, I, blood is not my <laughs> right. thing. Um, it's just not for me. Uh, it, it, it's why didn't I become a scientist to fix climate change? Chemistry was never my thing. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't fix climate change, but what I can do 
is sit down with the professionals that can actually do it, find out what they need me to do, and make sure that we pass legislation to do it. That is what I can do. That's in my so wheelhouse. Let me, let me follow so up from I, the proverbial person making that commentary. Yeah. Then, A, do you, I guess, A, what qualifies you exceptionally to be that person having those conversations on behalf of the rest of us doing this work? Uh, and B, like, mm-hmm. I guess, what what makes you what makes you find value in that versus doing the thing? Like, because you're a bright guy, you're a talented guy. I'm 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 fairly. You might not be gifted in science or medicine, but like, I'm I'm sure there are other avenues mm-hmm. you could have taken other than politics that you could have been making more of a hands on impact on things. Sure. Sure. Um, so, so the question is, you know what makes me qualified I guess what to, makes you qualified for for instance on climate change to be the person speaking on speaking on climate change and trying to like rally the cause if you know obviously by definition you are not like a climate scientist or like you know if, i'm sure if, i'm sure if i, I brought in a climate scientist to grill you on like the the specifics of how the world's gonna end in the next eight years like you, you might have a couple of the highlights but you won't <laughs> you won't be able to give me the, the whole you know layout of things here yeah um well <clears throat> That's a tricky question, but the, the the answer to that question is as a as for what I'm running for, it is my job to pay attention to the people within my district and take the message to Springfield, uh, our capital, and make sure that their concerns are being addressed and that we are doing something. Um, so, yeah, to answer that question, that is. That is the job, being a representative to represent people. I, I don't think that, for example, um, like a climate scientist, their job is not at, at the forefront to represent people, it's to fix climate. So, so everything is about climate, 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 which is good. That's what we need climate scientists to do. My job as a representative, though, is to say, yeah, let's do something about climate. However, if folks are worried about their jobs, we need someone to explain to them, this industry might go out, but this industry can come in. That's what a representative's job is to do, um, is to communicate with people and to focus on a little bit of everything. And that's not the job of when you're, when you're kind of centralized, your job is literally to focus on what you need to focus on for what you are doing. So I agree wholeheartedly. I think communication and decision-making are pretty much the, the essential functions of, of elected office. Uh, that, that makes yeah. me, I guess, ask the question, how, how centrally do you look at your career in relation to your identity? Because like, obviously like that sounds like a, a big portion of what you enjoy generally and like what brings you happiness is like being able to make quality decisions, making an impact in people's lives, make being able to be a voice on those things, being able to communicate complex issues on, on behalf of those people who, you know, it, like I said, I come from a tech background and I host a podcast for a living and like work in media. I, I can assure you I've met and worked with plenty of very, very smart people who are engineers who are like not great dinner guests or podcast hosts. You know what I mean? Like they, they certainly should not be a representative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I can, I can certainly empathize with that. So uh, I guess, how do you view your career in relation 
relation to your identity? Is that are they kind of inextricable at this point? Is, is like your identity is you know a communicator, leader, representative of you know if not a state, if not a city, you know values and ideas. Is that kind of like a, an essential portion of your identity, or is that still just kind of a job? Like are you able to separate that? No, it's always who I've been. Um, you know, I, I've literally been doing something like this my whole life. Um, you know, when I was in, when I see, when I saw issues, uh, growing up, I joined the student council. I was one of the first, uh, we had a horrible, uh, attendance policy at my, when I was really young, freshman in high school, you had like three minutes to get back and forth to classes or was considered a tardy. And I got a book bag and a calculator and calculated that it was unfair and we should have five minutes. And I went to the school board and the PTA and argued it. And I won. This, this is still um, a real problem. I mean, my girlfriend is a I, school I, teacher and this, this is the thing they still fight for at union meetings and shit. It's horrible. Um, you know, when I've, when I've, in, in, when I've been in office meetings and, and corporate meetings, when I hear a consensus of people saying someone needs to say something, I'm usually the person that says, well, let's talk about it and I'll say something. So it is my identity is who I've always been and what I've always done. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a leap. It's, it's just who I am. Yeah, but that transitions very nicely into the, the next portion I want to get into. <laughs> so the, the question that kind of drives this entire podcast, right, is like when you, when you introduce yourself, right, like, hey, I'm Ken, I am filling the blank here. And I ask this question of every guest I have on the show on the inbound form. It's like, what are those labels that you insert there? Like, I'm Ken, I am blank. And so the ones you wrote in here, none of, you know, it was not representative. It was not communicator. It was not, you know, galvanizer of people. Uh, it is Madonna fan, mm -hmm. Cubs fan, black gay Democrat. Yep. Uh, which are all probably yeah. probably better things to lead with at a cocktail party or at least better uh, conversation starters. Uh, but I guess usually I ask people you know, how they decided on those labels. I guess I'm curious, why why is communicator or representative or something along those lines not one of those labels you, you personally mm -hmm. identify yourself with? Sure. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't consider them, them labels. I consider, especially communicator, I consider it something everyone can do, just some of us are better than others. I, I, that's why I, didn't, I, I don't consider it a label. Um, every, every human being has the ability to communicate. Now, some of us are good at it, like you and I. Some of us are really bad at it. Some of us are mediocre. But I don't consider it a label because it's a, it's a skill that we all have um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, that's why I don't, I don't throw it out there. Um, in terms of representative. I think we all represent someone That's or fair. something. You represent Madonna fans. Uh, whether it, <laughs> I, I, I would like to um, at all times, especially if there's a discount <laughs> on tickets. Um, but <laughs> I digress. But we all represent, even if you're just representing yourself, we are all representing something. So that's why I don't consider it a label. Um, some of us are good at it. Some of us are bad at it. But we are all representing ourselves, our, our family, our our company, our something when we go out into the That's world. Fair. I, I mean, I 
like I said, that's very largely the the premise of the show. Really, is kind of drilling down on some of those representations and uh, I guess why we choose to perform those things out in the world and like why we want to assign ourselves that way. So one of the things I, I think is the the best representation yeah. of this without question uh, is our political parties, right? Like, you know, our, we're getting more tribalized by the year for sure. And, you know, more and more people kind of define their friend groups and their social circles and their, you know, even their families and their occupations by their political labels. Uh, you're obviously a Democrat. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're an intersectional Democrat from, from my understanding, a, a fairly progressive one. Uh, but how did you, I guess, what was like the first time you decided or signed up or registered as a Democrat? Like, how did you settle on being a Democrat? Well, so I, I always consider myself an independent. Um, I am not a person that um, got into, I, I've always voted and I've, I, I never was a, a straight ticket voter. Um, I always voted on the issues. Um, I, I, the first president I ever voted for. I'm glad president that's Bush, one of my favorite was, things I, I always I find out about people. It's like, what was the first election you voted in? So Bush, which one? Yeah, first, Bush first election. Bush? Uh, president. Oh, well, I was definitely um, not old enough. Yeah, that's what I thought. First I, just, one. Um, I, I, I get dates screwed up sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, you're not that old, are you? Like, I didn't think so. I was like, you must be talking W. No. <laughs> I think I was in preschool, but um, I voted for the second one, um, uh, and, and it was the second election because uh, that's when I was finally old enough. Not because I was a Republican, but because I, I looked at the two candidates, and I looked at the war, and I looked at the state of the, the country, and I said, well, I think this is the best option based on what we have. Also, what a lot of people forget is you know, the parties when I was coming up weren't all that different. I mean, when I watched the presidential debate in 2008, for example, I watched a stage full of Republicans say that um, same-sex marriage should be illegal, and I watched a stage full of Democrats say the same thing. (laughs) As I recall. (laughs) So, While while watching that from the only state in the country that had legalized gay marriage at that time, that was a fucking bizarre moment. I'm I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. it, it, It was just like, that was a really weird feeling. I can't, I can't imagine. Um, but yeah, so when I say that I'm a Democrat, I take that label because it is a label. Um, I take it because I didn't necessarily pick the Democratic Party. It's just the way that both political parties have treated issues. Um, the Republican Party, as of today, have gone a little bit further to the right than I, I can I can go. <laughs> a little? Um, and the Democratic Party, <laughs> I mean, it, they've gone a lot, they've gone far. And the Democratic Party is picking up on social issues that are important to me. So yeah, I'm a Democrat, but I, I didn't start off that way. And I guess what, what made you, for lack of a better term, what made you pick a side? Like if you were an independent, why not just run as an independent? Okay. Uh, good question. So, because at this stage of the game, I have I'm voting for ten times more Democrats than I am Republicans in the ballot box. I think I I, I always find um, when people tell me they're independent voters, and I usually say, well, what party do you lean to towards? And I do have friends that are independent voters where fifty percent of their ballot is one party, fifty percent the other, sometimes a sixty forty. But I will ask that question, and I'll have you know, 
people tell me, well, I usually vote for all Republicans, but I voted for a Democratic governor one year. Well, you're not really an independent. And, and there's nothing wrong with saying I'm a Republican. There's nothing wrong with it. Or when I talk to independents and they say, well, I did vote for, you know, my state senator to be who's a Republican because he's my neighbor and I like him. Yeah, but you're still a Democrat. It doesn't make you an well, independent. What would you say voter. to people who uh, um, you know consider themselves independents who would push back on that and say like, "Well, I just I took stock of what my choices were and like, you know, for for example, it's like you know maybe maybe I voted for McCain in two thousand eight, but then by the time you know Obama was up for re-election, I turned back around and I voted for Obama, and that year I voted for a Republican governor, mm-hmm. but a, a you know Democrat senator, and it's like you know I I speaking personally like. Well, I, I, yeah, right, that's an independent. What I'm is like speaking personally, like I, I would, I would flip flop a lot more, I guess, if there were better options. But like as a younger person who considers myself an independent, it's like the Republicans simply haven't presented me an option worth voting for in a while. You know, what I mean, I'm not saying like I'm not, I'm, I'm not aligned. Right. Uh, but on the flip side of that is like right. I mean, yeah, because the other option. Are, like my last my last options were like mostly fascists <laughs> you know what i mean like i if and like before that we had the tea party which are like you know I, I as an amateur as i am with kind of like gra- grassroots movements like you know caught my eye for a moment and then you realize what they're you know the tea party is about and it's like pretty easy to write them off and so yeah. you go down on the list it's like okay so i you know i haven't voted for a republican you know maybe you know a treasurer or something once or twice here or there in the past like 10 years but I don't know that I'm a Democrat. Okay. Well, I mean, if, if you if you are not identifying as a Democrat, I, I, I don't put labels on people. But what I will say is fundamentally, if you vote for, you know, a Republican treasurer every now and then and the rest of your ticket is Democratic, I, I it doesn't necessarily make you an independent voter. I mean, you are a, a lean – you're a lean Democratic voter. Um, but I also want to say this. I think also in today's climate, and this is where it gets tricky, I think declaring yourself as a Democrat or a Republican to the opposite side or whatever is deemed as a bad thing. Um, I have friends that are, are Republican. I, do, I think they're great people. Um, they're close friends of mine. I don't consider it a negative or a positive. I consider it, it – it, you know, it's a label. I kind of know where you stand on certain issues, and if I don't, I know that. Have um, you, how, how do you make? So I, I guess I, like because th- yeah. this is at, I'm sure you must get asked this question a million times, but like this is at the crux of every argument. I feel like these days, like how do you make peace with those people then? Because like some of the you mentioned, like part of the reason you got into politics is social issues, and I, I feel like that's probably pretty common right now, especially on the left. And it's like. It's not like there's like a, a slight disagreement of opinion with the left and the right on some of those social issues. There are people who you know literally want to send people mm-hmm. you know out of the country and back to other countries. There are people who like think literally your your existence should be able to be legislated away and that you shouldn't have rights that straight people have. Like how do you how do you like sit down with your friends across the dinner table and be like, hey, because it's one thing. It's like I've you know a lot of friends who are like fiscal conservatives, right? Like cool, I get that you like money. That makes sense to me. My girlfriend's right. a math teacher. I like numbers too. This all checks out. You know what I mean? Like we can still be friends but if your objection to to the left is like i hate queers and women and like brown people should get the fuck out of our country like how do you like chop it up with those guys well let me be very clear (laughs) 
my Republican friends tend to be more socially liberal or more um, moderately um, moderate socially. I I'm not friends with bigots. And I think I think if we frame it that way, it makes a lot more sense. I, I don't think that I think there's bigots in both parties. I think there are, you know, uh, there just are. I mean, it's, it's the landscape of America. I'm not friends with bigots, so my Republican friends are not bigots. We don't have any of those issues to overcome. Um, our issues, I mean, the biggest discrepancy I have with my Republican friends is we tend to want the same thing. Our way of going about it tends to be a little bit different. But the end game is we typically want the same thing. A bit back up there on the independent voter tip. What is what, what's kind of your opinion mm-hmm. of people who are in the middle and maybe are looking for other alternatives? You know, you have third party voters out there. You have people, you know, you, you have your green teamers out there occasionally and the libertarians and, you know, a couple mm-hmm. others sprinkled throughout. Well, what do you, do you feel like those people should pick a side? Do you feel like they're empowered to, to have their, you know, sometimes elitist worldview of kind of like, you know, well, I'm, I'm stepping outside of this because I don't like either of these choices, even though obviously there's, there's going to be a lot left in the balance there. Like what, how do you, how do you ration that out? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I'm, I'm a fan of ranked choice voting uh, for one. So um, yeah. So I, I, I think all political parties should be invited to the table and with ranked choice voting, um, they would all be, and they would be, you know, uh, I just think it'd be better for the country. But moving on past that, because I can't change that with a snap of a finger, when someone says they're an independent voter, and they, you know, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) well, maybe if the good folks of Illinois vote for me, and I can get it in legislation, and they send me to Washington someday, I might be able to do it. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But when people tell me they're an independent voter and they, they're an independent voter, cool. You know what I what upsets me or what annoys me is when someone tells me they don't vote. That's when I'm kind of a little bit like, come on. You have to participate. But when someone tells me, oh, I'm, I'm a libertarian, awesome. So what do you... I vote for, you know... What yeah, you, like what it's you, fine. What do you say to people awesome. who don't vote though, who just kind of feel disaffected? Because this is one of my big passion projects: is trying to get all, you know, even if it's just in my own small way, like my own friends and family and everybody, make sure everybody gets out to the polls. Because as a millennial, most of my friends have yeah. that view: like, why am I going to vote? It doesn't really matter. You mentioned before, like, uh, as in our youth, like the two parties weren't that different anyway. We're getting fucked by both sides. Who really cares? And what do you say to those people who kind of have that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm tapping or tapping out on this race kind of view? Sure. So something, a project that I took part of um, actually was trying to get out uh, uh, black and brown voters in the state of Illinois during the last election cycle. And I went into neighborhoods and I knocked on doors um, and I said, are you a registered voter? And if they said no, I took a step back and I listened to why they are not registered voters. So the answer to that question is twofold. I had a one lady who explained to me that she has been looking at a pothole outside of her house for almost a year. And no one was returning her call. So she's disenchanted with politics. I get I it. I have said for a long time, but people, I also, if you just paved the street, she'll win every fucking election. <laughs> every election. Um, but, but the best conversation I had, I knock on a door, 
I was convinced that they were a voter because they had this giant uh, Black Lives Matter flag in the living room, excuse me, in the living room window. And uh, she comes to the door and she says, I don't vote. And I said, why? She goes, it doesn't make a difference. I said, you do realize that we vote for judges in the state. We vote for attorney generals in the state. Black lives, if you, if you want black lives to matter, you have to vote for other people that have your sentiment. And, and I think it's the way people who vote talk to non-voters is very lecture-like. I've witnessed it, and it's not cool. I don't lecture anybody. I just say, hey, this is what you want. This is how you can get it through voting. And if they say, well, Ken, I think it's still a, a you know pie in the sky. Okay, well, at least I tried. But I don't lecture people. I'm a little disappointed when you know folks don't vote. But I'm not. I don't lecture anyone. And I think especially those of us on the the luster side of the spectrum have a tendency to lecture about democracy and how important it is and it is important but you have to listen to people listen to their stories and understand where they come from um and i will tell you as somebody from the south side of chicago um i understand why people especially people in communities like the one i am from do not vote they vote people in they ignore the community. They stay in office for 50 million years. Nothing ever gets done. Nothing ever gets changed. So I get it. And especially in the inner cities where we're seeing, you know, a decrease in voting, um, it's not even – there's not an opposing party. So It's, it's, it's just not. Um, so I get it. I do so I, as I mentioned, like I said, I think getting out the vote is probably one of the strongest things we can do for our democracy in general. You, when I when I asked you before the interview, uh, kind of for a group of people that you strongly dislike, uh, the the group of people you gave me were whiners, uh, and I feel like there is no bigger group of whiners than people who whine about their votes not mattering. I am certainly somebody who lectures people on this all the time. <laughs> like I, I am that guy, like. Fuck you, like you're a disgrace to America. You're turning your back on your civic duty. Why do you not care about our country? Like that, like that's oh. my spiel. Like I'm very pro America when it comes to like getting out the wow. vote. Uh, so I want to give you some time here. Give me your best elevator pitch to the people who don't vote out there because I'm sure there's a lot of them who listen to this who aren't going to listen to me try and lecture them. So help me out here. Give me your best 30 second pitch on why people need to vote. And Okay, and you're gonna you're gonna um, give me a buzzer on this one, but you can't do that, and that and that's then that's the problem. Uh, you cannot give a generic thirty second pitch to people on why they should vote. You actually have to talk to people to listen and find out what their their issue is. Everybody's issue is different, and I think that's kind of the big problem with the get out and vote when people aren't voting. No one's asking them why. We're just all lecturing that they need to do it. But nobody's asking why are you not doing it. We tend to lecture them. And people tend to shut down, and they're not open when they're being lectured. So I wish I could give a 30-second pitch, but I can't because I need to hear your story of why you don't vote. Um, is it because of a road issue? Is it because you've been lied to by one too many politicians? Is it because your taxes are too high? Is it because you can't afford your medication? There's a reason. 
and every reason is different and valid in its own way. You didn't do bad. You didn't, you, you went over, but you didn't hit a full minute. You're at 58 seconds. So you did pretty good there. All right. So the, the succinct version is instead of lecturing people, my new point should be, you should fucking vote, but I understand why you don't vote. No, I don't. Tell me why you don't vote. And then I'll explain to you why it's important that you do vote in not a condescending way. <laughs> you know, we're, after this, after our interview, we're going to, have to work on your pitch on that, so and we're going to clean it up a little bit. We're going to talk about it. We're going to There's clean a reason it I up. left sales. My, my pitch uh, but skills essence, are not great. <laughs> so we're going to clean that up, and we're going to get you out there talking. I, about I would very much appreciate that, and I think everybody will come 2020. Uh, let me let me run a, a couple of quick other questions I wanted to get by you before we get uh, into this last portion. I will let you get back to your actual life and representing the country and whatnot. But uh, what is what's just like your favorite part about being a politician? Like, obviously, it's very important to you. It's a big part of your life. It's a big part of your identity. It seems to be what you were born to do. Really, uh, you and Beto O'Rourke, but I believe you a lot more. Uh, so, like, what is what's just like your favorite part about doing this, man? Well, side so note, by I'm the way, running. I'm just cutting you off right here. If you say uh, to me, I, meeting all of the different people from my district and hearing these stories, I'm hanging up on this interview and I'm never posting them. <laughs> you give me that generic <laughs> cookie cutter answer that I get from every politician I've ever met. No, 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 no. I don't have generic answers. Right. I'm not a generic guy. Well, I'm running. I'm, I'm, I'm running, so Fair. I haven't been elected yet. So, for me, the reason you served I on the city level, though, right? Is because we need. You served at the city level, I'm sorry? Though, right? Or is I mistaken there? Well, okay. precinct yeah. committee, man. Uh, so, what, what a precinct committee, I mean, we knock doors and we try to get the vote out, gotcha. um, which is how I, I know that your pitch would have to change <laughs> a little bit. But what, I've <laughs> but what I've done is, you know, as an organizer and a strategist, is work with candidates to get the vote out. But to answer your question, I'm. I'm running to be a representative because we need more folks like like me at the table. We need more folks like you at the table. We need everyday Americans at the table. And sometimes we don't have that because it's hard running for office. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. Um, and it's a, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of stress. However, we need more teachers. We need more social workers. We need more people with financial backgrounds. We need activists. We need policymakers. We need everybody. That's the only way this country is going to get itself back together. I, I, did, I didn't it's hear you say we every need more day podcast hosts. I, I feel like that's really what the world needs more of. <laughs> absolutely. We, absolute, we absolutely do. We need at least three or four in the office. <laughs> Communications is important. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm available. Let me know. Uh, what is, what's been your, what's been Run your favorite something. moment from the campaign? Just like out on the trail and like this process of running. So I have, my, well, my favorite part, I, I was, I had a launch party last week. Uh, that's um, fair. I should, I should I put the timeline in perspective for people. It's a very new campaign. Uh, at, at the time of this oh, interview, yeah. what are we, well, like a, six weeks in something like that? Eight weeks? Something like that. Yeah. You're good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we had, a, we had a party last week, and, of course, whenever you throw a party, the big fear is that nobody's right. going to show yeah. up. Um, and so I remember waking up at, like, 1.30 in the morning and rolling over, and I, I, my husband was still awake watching, like, Family Guy or something. And I said, I don't think anybody's going to show up to my launch party. And he goes, well, you have two options. 
you can either start texting people right now at 1.30 in the morning, or you can go to sleep, relax, and just see what happens tomorrow. And I immediately said, okay, so you think it's a great idea for me to text people? He goes, no, that's, uh. <laughs> that's not the right answer. <laughs> he tried to give you an option to make the right that's, choice, Ken. You made the wrong choice. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I made the wrong choice. Um, but the next day we had the party, we rented out an entire bar. The bar was packed. Um, we had 15 elected officials there, which is major for an official launch for somebody who has never run for a, a higher office. Uh, Renato Mariotti, who's a really great friend of mine, was my guest speaker on Mueller Day. So keep <laughs> that in mind. Um, that's, that's really a day people might not show up to your party. They got shit to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was busy, so he was there. So I had 15 elected officials, packed bar, and it wasn't a small bar. Um, and it was a success. And it wasn't because people liked me so much. Um, it wasn't because people like to see me in a suit because that's a disaster for all to see. <laughs> but they were there. <laughs> I'm a t-shirt blue jean guy, so be, me in a suit is a very uncomfortable position sense. for me. Suits on the phone um, go well. But they came because of my issues. Oh, well, thank you. Um, but they came because they know about my issues and my policies and my plans, and they agree with my vision, and they want to be a part of it. And it was, it was was that was the high moment for me. Where I said, "Oh, I'm doing the right thing. Got it." So was it? Was it I, I'm curious. Was it? Did you know how successful it was going to be? Like on the way there, did you get like reports from somebody? Did you kind of like just walk in blind? Like I really don't know what this is going to be yet. Well, <laughs> well, this is a this is going to be a crash course on why it's important to RSVP for the listening <laughs> audience. Prior to the event, <laughs> I had. I had, um, I think, maybe sold 15 tickets. Oh, Jesus. And my projection, yeah, my projection, like the capacity was for 58. Um, so I sold 15. So I get there, and, of course, uh, the owner's like, so we're going to have a packed room. I'm like, I don't know. I've only sold 15 <laughs> tickets. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a great disaster for both of us. And um, But as I'm kind of nervous and fidgeting, my phone is constantly beeping, ticket sold, ticket sold, ticket sold, ticket sold. So we ended up selling 76 <laughs> So you guys were over capacity. I mean, so we had, there was overflow until like another section, which is awesome. Um, it, was a, it was a great event. But, you know, once again, listening audience, RSVP is important because halfway through, um, I'm running around. Um, and, and my uh, campaign, <clears throat> excuse me, campaign manager and summer camp, who's amazing, goes, Ken, I need your card. We need more food. And I said, well, they had RSVP. <laughs> I would have the food right yeah, it's, it's I was expecting 15 people, <laughs> so I ordered food for 25. Thinking you, were, you thinking you were going overkill there. And lo and behold, you got 85 on hand and counting. Yeah. You got people walking in. And then I said, just order Exactly. Order three of everything. <laughs> I, I had no idea this was going to happen. <laughs> um, but no, it was a great success, and it showed me that I'm on the awesome. right path. Well, I very much believe you're on the right path. I very much appreciate you sitting down with me. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to do Random People, our fun little ending segment here, and then I'll let you get back to your life. How's that? Oh, awesome. 
Who the fuck are these people? Shut up. This is my favorite part of the podcast. Internet. Are you ready? It's time for random people. And we are back. We're going to play our favorite segment here called Random People. Uh, for you listening at home, uh, by this point, uh, you probably know how this works. But if this is the first time listening here, uh, this is how this goes. I have a list of 100 different types of people. We ask our guests to pick three numbers between 1 and 100. 30 seconds on the clock. You're going to tell me the first three things that pop in your head about those type of people. And then after I get your quick, pretty much uninhibited responses, I get to ask you one follow-up question on each of those responses. Sound like a plan to you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that level of enthusiasm is fantastic. I love it. All right. So give me give me three numbers, one to a hundred. Um so of course we're gonna pick forty-two. Okay. Um so forty-two forty two uh, for the district 20, for everybody following along yeah. at home. Yeah, uh twenty for twenty twenty. Oh that's great. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing something here. And uh, the number, you know, eight. We'll eight. say eight. All right. Favorite number? Yep. What's what's eight for? I'm I'm literally in a room, and the number is like eight 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 nine seven something something. So I just picked it. I picked eight. That's easy enough. All right. Let me yeah. grab a timer real quick. <laughs> um, oh God! Yeah. This is going to be fun because you, you've picked great choices for this. I'm not going to lie to you. You set yourself up oh, nice. No, I mean, that in a good way. You're, you're in a good position. You're in a good position. I, w- I okay. wouldn't set you up to fail. Okay. All right. So Whew. do you want to do you want to start with 8 or 42 or 20? We'll start, we'll start 8, 20, 42, and I, I give you three responses, right? All right. Yes, that's, the, that's how this works. This is perfect. All right. So okay. 30 seconds on the clock. What, give me the first thing that comes to mind about smokers. <laughs> Oh, uh, yellow teeth, uh, bad lungs, uh, need more cash. Need more cash? Need more cash because cigarettes are expensive, so they need more money. Oh, yeah. all right. That's a good one. And hey, you got that done in 15 seconds. See, you got the hang of this. This is good. All right. We're going to blow right, <laughs> right on down to 20. Uh, we talked a lot about this a little bit in the interview, but world travelers. Uh, Magellan, Columbus. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's the road I'm going down, and um, uh, seasick. Seasick. Okay. Do you get seasick? Oh, I, yeah. Right. I do actually. <laughs> I do. I, 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 it's funny to me as like somebody who grew up on the coast when anyone gets seasick because it's just like I, you didn't really have a choice in my childhood like you were going to be on the water so if you do get seasick you better figure out some shit to do about that by the time you're like ten. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the last. 30 seconds, you can go over time on this if you want to, because I feel like this is a very juicy topic to pitch you. Uh, Republicans. (laughs) You picked it, not me, man. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, Americans. Kind. Okay. Uh, Um... Uh, Americans hard workers. All right, not, uh, all right. That was very. That was a very polite way to take that. All right. Yes. So, okay. 
I get three follow-ups here. I get one on each. I'm going to start with smokers. And I, I, when you say need more cash, what of all the mm-hmm. things that come to mind about smokers, lung cancer, being outside in the cold and smoking, all the things we talked about, like about smoker culture, the thing that pops to mind about it most is still the cost for you, huh? Yeah, because I'm, 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 a, I'm a fiscally responsible person. And I know that if you leave your lighter at home, especially in Chicago, mm. a pack of the cheapest cigarettes and a lighter is like 14 to $15. You betcha. <laughs> so, yeah, they need, they need money because it's expensive. How long did you quit? I quit on September 9th of 2015. Congratulations. Cold man. turkey. That, hey, wow. Um, yeah. Eventually, when I'm editing this podcast, I'll have a round of applause sound drop that I'll play here because you deserve a round of applause. <laughs> All right. Uh, secondly, world travelers. Have you, uh, I guess, I only get one follow up question here, so I want to make it count. But given the route that you took on that, like, have you traveled? Have you left the country? Have you traveled the world at all? <laughs> I travel. So I, I am, I get seasick on boats. I'm terrified of flying. So traveling is always a horrible experience for me. All right. Yeah, so that, that's I pretty limited. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I do it, but I mentally block out the methods of which I do it. So when you asked me that, it was like tapping into my subliminal <laughs> and I didn't have time. <laughs> and you went right back to 11th so grade did, history, huh? Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> Absolutely. Enough. Uh, and on Republicans, you gave me Americans, hard workers, and red, which to me sounds like what you're describing is immigrants from Mexico. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'm curious, I guess, I, I, I get my one follow-up, so let me be thoughtful with this question. As, as somebody okay. on the other side of the aisle, I guess, uh, what, is, what makes you take the position of being... I guess because there's two schools of thought, I guess, currently on the left is like there's being combative and there's being, you know, unifying and trying to reach across the aisle. Uh, and mm-hmm. on the presidential stage, like we, we see like the Pete Buttigieg's of the world who are you know very centrist and, you know, make kind of an appeal to, you know, walk away Democrats of the past and, you know, Republican, you know, crossover voters. And then you have other people who take, you know, a, a more prosecutorial approach of the Republican Party, say like Kamala Harris. Yeah. Uh, what makes you be more in the, the unity camp than the all of these people are fascists and Nazis camp? Because I'm, um, I'm, I'm torn all the time. Like, some of them are fascists and Nazis and deserve to be called so, and others are just, like like you said, like, you know, friends and parents and, you know, fiscal conservatives and people who just have some marginally different views on how we get to the right place. Sure. Um, it's a complex question, but I get to know people first, and um, I will tell you, I've been treated very, very well by some members in the Republican Party, and I've been treated horribly by some members in the Democratic Party. I've been, um, you know, it's not about the party, it's about the person. And so I look at the person. What are your, what are, what are your ideals? What are your issues? What, are, what, do you, what drives you? And as, as a, especially, and I, I say this with my entire heart, especially as a person of color, I cannot, cannot label an entire group of people in a negative way. I cannot do it. It has been done to people like me forever. I cannot do it. And it's an easy thing to do. It's easy to say, 
oh, well, all of those people are blah, blah, blah. And then you don't have to connect with them. But more importantly and subliminally, you get to separate yourself from them. And the problem is, is what's happening in America now is not a Republican issue or a Democratic issue. It's a system and a systematic of what has been going on in this country on both sides for far too long. Well, I, I very much appreciate you speaking on it, and you are the voice that uh, I hope gets to for a very long time. So we're going to leave it there, and oh, I you. appreciate having you on, man. You've made, uh, I, I think, a great impact on your community in Illinois and hopefully will be on, on the state as lar- at large in a very short period of time here. Uh, I usually wrap up by asking everybody, who, who do you want to hear this? I got, you know, I'm sure, you know, obviously I'd, I'll be sharing it out. I'm sure it'll go some places and plenty of people will hear it. But, like, who is the group of people you're like, I, I feel like really needs to hear this story, hear this vision? Absolutely. So I am an African-American gay man running in um, what is known as the evangelical capital of America. I want, who I want to hear this are all the outsiders that have been told that what they can't do. And especially all the young people that are sitting at home crying themselves to sleep because they don't feel good enough. That's why I want to hear it. Well, if you're out there and you are feeling isolated, you are feeling like an outsider, look up Ken uh, Mejia Beal on the internet. Come find him. Come follow his vision. Come follow the campaign. Uh, you might learn a little something that you enjoy. Uh, for anyone else listening out there at home who isn't one of those people, you can listen to, and I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, a special shout out to Miss Robinson, who we definitely hope is listening. Uh, and I, I want to, I guess I always want to highlight people who help people with the coming out process, because that first moment of being able to say, hey, I'm sort of different and not getting looked at crazy for it is a really impactful one. Uh, so I hope she's listening out there as well. Uh, if you do happen to listen to this podcast, and you like Ken, you want to check him out, where can they find you on the internet? So I am at KMB, uh, that's Ken Mejia Beal, KMB for 42.com. Follow me on Facebook at KMB for 42 and on Twitter at KMB for 42. Uh, and just for clarification, it's KMB FOR. 42 or yes, KMB FOR 42. Gotcha. Yeah. KMB FOR 42. You can find Ken anywhere on the internet under that tag. Uh, you can also find me if you're looking for me or this show at Mitch Gaines. Like I said, at the top anywhere on the internet, I want to be found. It's at Mitch Gaines. Gaines with a Y because I'm a little bit gay. G A Y N S. You can also check me out at MitchGaines.com. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope to see you back next week with some more of those people. And until then, I'm Mitch Gaines and we're all those people.
quick housekeeping notes here after the episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please, please, please rate and review the show wherever you listen. It really helps other people find the show, and that's sort of essential to us being able to do a second season. If you really love the episode, or you just want to support the show, you can also buy one of our Political People t-shirts or some of our other merch, available on our merch page at mitchgames.com. If you have feedback for the show, I'm all ears. My Twitter DMs are always open, but you can also email me at mitchgaines at gmail.com. Prefer speaking to writing? Me too, that's why I started a podcast. You can leave us a voice message if you prefer at the link in the show notes here. Just note that your feedback, questions, and opinions may be used in a future episode. I want to give a special thanks to East Boston Public Library for allowing us to record several of our episodes on location there. Make sure you thank and hug your local librarian. Special thanks also to Phil Elam of the Justice Boys and Amy Bezunartea, hopefully I got that right, for our intro and our outro music, respectively. Both songs are fittingly titled Those People, and we'll post links in the show notes as to where you can find them. Lastly, and most especially perhaps, I want to give a special thank you to our executive producer, Kayla Scheitlin without whom, and I mean this quite literally, none of this would be possible. I also want to give a final thanks to all those people who have been supporting this project from its earliest days, way before we released, including Irvin Bailey, Crystal Roloff, Nicole Hodnett, Shelbo the God, and countless others that I'm missing here. I'm Mitch Gaines, and thank you as always for checking out this episode of Those People, a podcast with people about people.